Well, hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and welcome to Season 3 of The HR Mentor. I'm coming to you today from the unceded traditional territories of the Tecumloops to Shequetmik people, and I want to express my deep gratitude that I'm able to live, work, and play on these beautiful lands. I know it's been a while since I spoke to you, but I sincerely hope that despite all the ups and downs that the holidays often bring, and the continuing battle we all face with COVID, you managed to take some time for yourself over the last couple of months. I know I was feeling particularly burned out, both physically and emotionally, so I decided to extend my break from the HR mentor over the month of January. I did manage to get my winter illness out of the way at the beginning of January, and after a lot of rest, I'm feeling ready to kick off another season. I'm so very excited to be back for this brand new season with new shows and also some exciting changes. For starters, I did take some time over the holidays to build a brand new membership site exclusively for those of you that love the HR mentor and who really want to take their HR career to the next level. It's called the HR Mentor Fan Club, and for less than the cost of a coffee and a cookie each month, you can get access to exclusive content that is for members only. It not only has bonus episodes on topics that will help you level up your career, but also free resources and step-by-step guides to help you really shine in an HR role. Your membership also gives you access to member-only bonuses and discounts on future programs. And because I love and trust my fans so much, I also have an opportunity for you to shape the future of this podcast with a suggest a topic or guest function. And the best part is you also have a chance to keep the HR Mentor ad free. What you may not know is that for the last two years, this has been a one person show and a labor of love, but it's not a free endeavor. Each month, there are costs for researching, production, advertising, and of course, tokens of appreciation for my guests. And without at least recovering those costs, I'm either going to have to end the podcast, which I would never want to do, or seek some advertising support, which I believe would kind of change the experience for you. Your small contribution in the membership will go a long way in keeping this podcast all about you and for you which is always my goal. And there's already some great content in the fan club membership site. I've created a bonus episode called Four Ways to Reduce Bias in the Hiring Process, a topic that I know is front of mind for many of you. It also pairs nicely with my recruitment action plan, which is a step-by-step guide and template that teaches you how to deliver a hiring experience in your organization that is efficient, effective, and that will help you stand out. I've used this method and model with clients and in my own recruiting, and it really works. You'll also get access to my newly created decision-making process template. This tool is something I use for my own decision-making to keep my work aligned with my values, and it helps me prioritize without taking on too much. And it was something I developed last year when my yearly intention was focus, and I found it super helpful. 
It's also really flexible and easy for you to use because you can download it, make a copy and kind of make it your own. Each month in the membership site, there'll be new content added. And regardless of how much great information and resources there are, your monthly membership will always stay the same. So if you're serious about getting ahead in your HR career, and you love this podcast, consider becoming a member. You can learn more and sign up by visiting the homepage of my website, www.unicorngroup.ca, and clicking on the HR Mentor Fan Club tab at the top. I'll also post a link in the show notes for this episode, where you can find wherever you're listening. I really hope you'll join me there. And as always, I appreciate your continued support. All right, let's get into today's topic. I thought it would be really fun to kick off this season by taking a look at where our industry is and what I see as some of the emerging trends in our field. Trends that are going to be important for you to not only become aware of, but depending on your role in an organization that you're going to want to start taking action on. We are now, sadly, two years into the pandemic, and one of the biggest impacts of COVID-19 has been on the way we work. Every single organization is affected in some way by this global health crisis, and that means the role of HR and the focus of HR departments are also forever changed. And whether you believe that these changes are good or bad or somewhere in between, there's no denying that they've happened. So today I'm going to talk about five trends that I believe are having a huge impact on HR and how you can best prepare yourself, regardless of whether you're a new grad looking for that first HR role or a more seasoned professional trying to keep your head above water. Because even if your organization is not ready to embrace these trends or changes, they're happening. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. All right, I have been reading a lot online, in journals, and in books about how work and HR are changing. And while some of these trends are not necessarily all directly related to the pandemic, some of them have been magnified because of it. So the five trends that I want to talk about that I believe are shaping our HR profession right now are number one, internal recruitment and development, number two, EDI action, emphasis on the action, AI and automation, number four, employee well-being, and number five, virtual and hybrid work. Let's talk about each one, starting with internal recruitment and development. Let's face it, the great resignation is real. And despite what some people in Canada believe, it doesn't have much to do with government-sponsored benefits for COVID. I heard on the radio this afternoon that Business in Vancouver released a projection that by 2031, there will be over 1 million new jobs in BC, predominantly in the tech and health sectors. And although labor market participation seems to be shifting month to month, Canada's unemployment rate is down 3% since last year at the same time. 
Now, we know that shifts in the pandemic response will, of course, affect these numbers if further closures of businesses occur or people face new vaccine requirements. But really, all you need to do is look around you to see that businesses are struggling to find people. And if you talk to business owners and organizational leaders, recruitment and retention seem to be their biggest challenges. I know at my own university, we're struggling to get enough applicants to fill faculty positions. And for the first time in as long as I can remember, we had to cancel multiple classes in our department because we couldn't find people to teach. It is rough out there. Of course, organizations can and should dial in their recruitment and selection experience for candidates and put much of the emphasis on selling themselves to candidates instead of the other way around. But when you can't even find applicants, that's pretty tough. So employers and HR professionals are going to need to shift their thinking from recruiting as the default to looking within their organization. Internal recruitment is going to be critical to the success of organizations. As someone who has spent many years in talent management, I'm a firm believer that investing within the organization is always a good idea. But what I'm talking about here is a necessity, not a nice to have. This means that you and the HR team are going to need to shift your focus from recruitment to identifying internal talent. And this might be challenging for you if you don't have any mechanisms in place for measuring potential or performance or any systems to track what's happening with your internal talent. I suggest if that's your situation that you start by having a look at your internal recruitment policy and see where it may be limiting internal mobility or disincentivizing Is that even a word? Not sure. We'll go with it. (laughs) Your internal candidates from moving around the organization. And this might have a lot to do with the culture of managers wanting to hang on to employees, which is an issue that needs to be resolved at the top. And if you're in a unionized environment, you might want to start collecting stats on recruitment to show the union that they might need to exercise some flexibility in internal recruitment processes. This might mean LOUs on training or development opportunities to allow internal candidates that demonstrate a willingness to take courses or gain experience in exchange for a lower rate of pay or a training rate. It's also a really good idea to see what your capacity is within the organization to facilitate training and development. Do departments have the expertise and capacity to coach individuals who aren't fully qualified? If not, Could you start looking for ways to shift work or portfolios to create capacity? There's a lot to consider with internal mobility. It's not a matter of just putting up a posting and making it available to internal candidates. You may have to really shift your thinking on policies and procedures in order to make it easier for people within the organization to try out new roles. Another huge opportunity is lateral moves to help people develop skills in other areas they might be interested in. This is often overlooked by both HR departments and managers, but it can be a huge opportunity for an employee and it'll help them stay with your organization if they get to pursue a path that maybe wasn't available to them. And when positions do become available in your organization, 
I think it's really important to question whether it needs to be structured in the same way or even filled at all. Could other jobs be enriched or could automation address the gap? And if you have a position that sat vacant for months and nothing has crumbled, I think you need to ask yourself, do you really need that role? I really think the talent shortage we're facing is only going to get worse and it's going to cause those of us in recruitment to really change our traditional ways of filling positions and developing talent. Now, the second area of HR that I see taking center stage in 2022 and beyond is EDI action. Now, we all know over the last 18 months, we have talked about truth and reconciliation, Black Lives Matter, and how to support our LGBTQ2 plus employees and people of color. But talk doesn't create change. I really think 2022 is going to be the year where a lot of organizations are going to have to put their money where their mouth is, literally. Yesterday, I saw that 60 Minutes and Anderson Cooper visited the Cowes First Nation. And a couple of weeks ago, the Williams Lake First Nation announced a finding of 93 grave sites on the grounds of the former residential school. My heart goes out to their community and the survivors. We've all seen the headlines, but what are we doing about it? If you work in a business, do you know about the TRC calls to action for the business community? And if you do, are you implementing them? We all have a responsibility to educate ourselves and implement these calls to action. And honestly, the time is now. Now, if you aren't sure where to start with reconciliation or changing the culture of EDI in your organization, the very first step is to educate yourself. There are new programs and certificates popping up all over the place. And of course, the internet is a wealth of knowledge. I also suggest you check out Quake Lab, the company founded by my episode 41 guest, Sharon Ningueso. She offers a number of programs, assessments, and self-guided learnings to help you address your EDI needs. If you want to learn about the experience of Indigenous people, how to hire them or work with them, check out Indigenous Corporate Training and Bob Joseph. His organization offers programs for you and your organization. And if you want to address gender diversity, visit the TransFocus website and Kai Scott's team. They also have self-guided programs to help you get started and dig deeper in your organization. Once you've educated yourself, then it's time to start engaging in conversations with leaders in your organization. It's not only the right thing to do to address these issues and create a space where everyone belongs and feels included, but there's a real compelling business case as well. I have other episodes on this topic that offer some additional resources, so make sure you check out the show notes for links if this is an area that you really want to develop for yourself. Okay, the third area of work that I think is going to get further uptake this year is AI and automation. And I'm talking specifically about how it can help us in HR. Now, I'm not going to debate the pros and cons of AI in the workplace in this episode, but I really do hope to bring on a guest this season that knows way more about it than I do. But I will say this, it is another area that you should be educating and upskilling yourself on. Look, if the labor market is not going to get better, 
and recruiting isn't going to get easier and development is costly, technology is an obvious solution. Of course, we want to be safe and free of bias, but there are huge opportunities within HR to leverage technology. Think about how much time you spend or your HR coordinator assistant spends answering questions about policies and procedures. Could that be handled by a chat bot? What about recruitment? Are you still shuffling resumes around via email or do you have a system to vet and rate candidates? And what about that candidate experience? Did you know that using technology could speed up the process and help you communicate with candidates so they don't feel ghosted, which is awful? I also feel that relying too heavily on the interview can lead to biased hiring decisions. So what about reducing that reliance by incorporating some selection testing using automated processes? What about using automated text messages to remind employees and managers of deadlines instead of email? There is so much opportunity, and the AI is becoming more and more sophisticated with decision functions all the time. And that also means it's becoming more affordable. Yes, you have to do the research and make sure you have a clear business case for using automation. But I believe if you don't start now, you and your organization will regret it. And don't worry, the emotional aspects of HR will not easily or soon be replaced by robots. I don't think you're going to be losing your job. It's just going to get a lot more interesting and your skills are going to need to shift from transactions and routine advice to coaching and strategizing. Which leads me to the fourth and fifth focus I see. And these two items sort of go hand in hand. And that focuses on employee well-being and remote and hybrid work. If there is one thing that the pandemic has shown us, it's that we don't need to all be in the office all the time to get stuff done. And that mental health and well-being affects all of us. According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, in any given year, one in five people in Canada will personally experience a mental health problem or illness. And by age 40, 50% of the population will have or have had a mental illness. This is critically important for us as HR professionals to grasp and address in our organizations. If the labor market continues to be in the same state it is now, and we have a hard time recruiting, supporting the employees in our organization is going to become a key retention issue. Many employees may feel uncomfortable disclosing any kind of mental illness, but that doesn't mean that the HR team should do nothing or assume that everyone is okay. I assure you, they are not. So what do you do? Well, for starters, take a look at any policies you have relevant to time off. Do you require a doctor's note for every day of sickness? If so, you may be making it harder for employees to get the rest they need to heal and be well at work. What about your benefit plan? Do you offer some form of EAP or counseling services? Can they be accessed confidentially? And does your benefit plan offer paramedical services such as chiropractic and massage that allow employees to keep their bodies moving? We all know physical activity is the number one stress reduction activity for most people. So doing what you can to keep employees active is a huge win in your organization. 
and it helps with productivity. So what about movement? Do you have access to employee gyms or subsidies for employees to get a gym pass or take a yoga class? These types of benefits can not only be recruiting perks, but also have real tangible impacts on retention. I know some of these benefits can be expensive, but you can also do things that are free and fun. Does your organization have some kind of social club or events? Do you have a walking club? It's a great way to get people together at lunchtime. You're outside, so it's a COVID safe activity and people are getting exercise. It really is a win-win. I think it's also important for the HR department to be monitoring some statistics around well-being, health, sick time, and also benefits usage. Even though you don't know who's accessing those services, looking at how employees are accessing them or what they're using the most can sometimes provide clues as to preventative mechanisms that are needed in the organization. For example, in most organizations on a drug plan, you will notice that one of the number one drugs are antidepressants and usually Lipitor for high cholesterol. So if that rings true for your organization, what are you doing to offer supports and services for healthy eating, for improved mental well-being? What about bringing in guest speakers or, again, giving employees access to the services that will help them with that? There's a lot you can do, but you have to understand the makeup of your organization and how people are using the services that you have already. Another area that I think is important to look at is how many complaints you're having on uh, bullying or harassment in your workplace to make sure that you do have a safe workplace for people to participate in. If you have really high instances of complaints, you might want to take a look at how managers are managing employees, how employees are treating each other, and if there are any leverage points there where an intervention or a preventative option might help out. Even if the findings are not usually that bullying and harassment is present, it can still signal an organizational problem or challenge that needs to be addressed. And maybe it's the policy itself, and maybe you require some education of your employees and managers. Regardless, if there are any clues there, those are things you want to address immediately. Because especially in a job market like this, people are not going to stick around in a toxic work environment if they don't have to. And supporting employees in that way is not only part of supporting their mental health and well-being, but it also speaks to the last trend that I was mentioning, which is about flexibility. Most employees are looking for flexibility as a key factor in deciding who they're going to work for. I don't know if you experienced this in your organization, but I know some of my clients had a hard time encouraging people to come back to the office when it was safe to do so. And some of them never did. They were just not comfortable with it. And thankfully, these organizations were able to accommodate these workers so that they didn't have to leave the organization. 
The reality is most employees prefer to work from home at least part of the time. And if you don't offer that and your competitor does, it might result in you losing key talent. I know not all jobs support work from home, but it is possible, at least in most knowledge jobs. So I think it's a conversation you need to have with managers. And if the reason that they don't want to support a hybrid model or any flexibility in working from home or in the office, I think you need to ask yourself if it's a challenge with how managers manage people and their own comfort level, and maybe that's a development opportunity for those managers, or is there really a a structural work-related barrier that exists there? Either way, I think it's an important conversation for organizations to have as to whether or not they can support it and how that could be possible. I think the reality is it's next to impossible to say we don't have the technology anymore because we've all been spending hours and hours in Zoom-type meetings and getting a lot of work done. So it's something to think about. And certainly there are a lot of organizations that have developed hybrid and flexible work policies. You don't have to look too far. Reach out to your HR colleagues through LinkedIn and ask them if they have a hybrid policy. I think sometimes as HR professionals, we think we have to figure everything out on our own. And I know from the majority of my career, a lot of what I learned came from my colleagues, people that worked in similar organizations in my industry. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask your network, who's got a hybrid work policy? Do you mind sharing it with me? And start from there. The most important thing is to keep yourself aware of these trends, observe what's happening in your own organization, what's happening with recruitment and retention, but take steps before it becomes too late. I've seen so many job postings out there. I'm now hearing on the radio a lot of organizations in my community are advertising on the radio for workers and Things are really tough out there. So if you want to be in an organization where you have enough people to do the jobs and you want to create an environment that is inclusive and safe and helps people stay well and productive, then these are the things I think you need to be on the lookout for in the year and years to come. All right, let's wrap this up. I'm going to just summarize the five trends areas of HR that I believe are going to be shaping our profession right now are internal recruitment and development, EDI action, AI and automation, employee well-being, and virtual and hybrid work. I hope that this was a helpful episode for you. If you are seeing other things out there that you think are important trends, drop me an email or send me a direct message on LinkedIn or Instagram and let me know what you think. I'd be curious to hear what others are experiencing in their organizations. And if you have a suggestion for a topic for the HR mentor, feel free to send me a message. Of course, if you love this episode or the HR mentor, please click subscribe wherever you are listening. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. 
You can find the show notes with helpful links on our Podbean page at www.thehrmentor.podbean.com. And be sure to check out the HR Mentor Fan Club membership site. And if you would like to join, click the link and I will see you there. As always, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your time. Take care. Bye for now.